Footnotes of History, the podcast that takes you beyond the established borders of the past and into those unexplored and less uh, travelled regions full of interesting and surprising facts. With you as always are myself, Daniel Nesbitt, and the only man who knows these unexplored regions of history out of the back of his hand. Potentially the, the one person, I would say, who could lead us both in and out all safely. Um, the, of course, the legend that is Tim Philpott. <laughs> I don't know about le- legend, seems a bit... Seems a bit strong. But yeah, okay. Um, hi, Dan. How's it going? I'm okay, thank you. I'm looking forward to the episode. Excellent episode for you today. Uh, today's episode is on the Great Trek. Some, uh, you know, co- somewhat controversial movement of uh, peoples out of the out of the <laughs> coastal area of what is now South Africa into the interior of what is now South Africa. Uh, or movement from the Cape Colony and the founding of the Boer Republics. Yes, that's it caused huge amounts of Huge upheaval and was. I think there's. It has a patch. I think it has a patchwork. A patchwork of you know, uh, a, a sort of patched history. Yeah, say. I think as as we'll see, it's got it's it's you know people who strongly believe it was almost like a messianic type of march out of the desert in many ways into like a better place um, and a foundational myth for a basically a whole country which was became South Africa. Yeah. And other yeah. on the other hand, you have seeing it as very sort of a violent or almost land grab. Um, the indigenous people who already lived there. Um, so yeah. I think it's quite interesting. One, I'm yeah. a bit hoping our listeners will enjoy as well. Indeed, yeah. I think um, actually, actually, perhaps I think you should say you you, you you have a you have a slightly more personal connection to this one than uh, not personal connection, but like, you know. Um, well, yeah, you do have a personal. Yeah, connection. Yeah, I think I should probably actually apologise firstly to my mum, uh, who doesn't actually listen to this episode because she was forced to learn about the Great Trek every single year that she was at school in South Africa right. when she was growing up. So, okay. mum, you can you can skip this one. Um, for like, like every other episode, every episode, I will, there. I will be testing you, including one. the one on Sydney Smith. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think mm-hmm. the best place to start off would be you know looking at the Cape, what is known as the Cape Colony. So yeah. in those, like like I know, like we should start with sort of overview of the yeah, situation. I think so. Um, I mean, so, so just just to clarify, I mean the specific period we're talking about at this particular point in time. Well, the Great Trek. I mean, it's sort of quite. An ex- I mean, it's quite a blurred sort of border boundaries of. Period of the time mm-hmm. period, isn't it? But um, I, I mean, what does eighteen thirty-five to forty-six sound like to you? Yeah, I think eighteen thirty-five. Yeah, for the eighteen thirties to eighteen forty. I'd say that around that time for yeah. the actual track itself. But yeah. I think to set the scene, we have to go back about 10, 15 years before yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, and to look at it's around the Napoleonic Wars and the area that we're talking about now, it was known as the Cape Colony. So yeah. it's well, uh, sorry, but then the origins of the Cape Colony as well. Yeah. I mean, because it's just a bunch of Dutch. People just I was on the very. I know, no, no, it's just yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, like, yeah. Um, the Cape Colony was a is probably the you know the first outpost of European um, exploration in what we now see as South Africa. Um, by the time we're talking about in the eighteen thirties, it become it was around a hundred thousand square miles, so about a quarter of South Africa's modern day South Africa's uh, land mass. Um, and as Tim rightly pointed out, it was first discovered a lot earlier than we're talking about, around sixteen hundreds. Yeah, um, by the Dutch. Yeah, well, I was, was going to say I was going. Sorry, I was going to just just butt in there. The, the population at about yeah. eighteen fifteen is about twenty six point five thousand people. That's so it's not right. a huge amount of people. No, not not at all. But um, but yeah, carry on. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so it was discovered uh, and yeah. first settled and colonized by the Dutch, yeah. um, who saw it as an outpost and a trade and an yeah. area to sort of just a way station on the way into their colonies in the East Indies. Yeah, yeah, um, and then. We, they, you know, they settled it. The Cape Town, the the area was um, established around this at this time, and then we skip forward for a few hundred years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We see successive waves of migration coming in. Some from 
France, some from Germany. Yeah. Um, but the sort of the next phase we really want to look at is the Napoleonic Wars, mm. so from late 1700s through to 1815. And during the wars, um, which were obviously between, mainly between Britain, France, and the, the European, rest of the European, rest of the European powers, powers yeah. um, it was quite a hotly contested yeah. um, area because it was quite strategic. Yeah. And it changed hands a few times from firstly the Dutch, then when France took over Holland, and then they took the colony, the British took it, and then changed hands a few times. But at the end of the end of the war, 1815, it was assigned over to the British. Yeah. Um, who gained control of this very key strategic area, which was yeah. a big boon. Jimmy, this is part. This is part of the end of the. This is part of the end of the. Was settled on at the end of the. Yes, it, it yeah. was. Yes, so I think the British. I think would probably, I would imagine, have this on their wish list of. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is quite. I mean, they. I mean, as as you said, they they sort of took it by force in about eighteen oh three, and sort of it was back and forth for a while. Yeah. So yeah, it was obviously something they had been. Yeah, I think yeah, and the land they inherited, as you said, there it had around twenty six thousand settlers yeah. in it. Well, settlers who had yeah. become settlers. Well, this is interesting. I think this is interesting because yeah. they were originally employees of the Dutch East mm-hmm. India Company, yeah. and then they were freed of their contracts and then paid in land. Yes, they so were, they yeah. stayed there. Yes, and they, they've been there for eight. It's just they unbelievable have been there for a while. They've been there. I think it's also uh, quite important to kind of underline the fact that although they had you know, the Dutch had come in, then they'd had these successive waves of some French, some yeah. Germans come in. There wasn't necessarily a a divide on lines of nationality. It had mm. very much become a divide on where you lived. So around the more coastal regions, around Cape Town, you had what were called the Cape Dutch, which were kind right. of more urbanised, more mercantile, I feel. Yeah. Um, but then on the in, more towards the interior, you had what became called the Boers, which basically mm. means farmer. And right. that, you know, that's what it said in the Tim. They were, yeah. they were farmers in terms, they could, you know, a lot of them were cattle and other types of um, animal farming and others were looking at crops like wheat yeah. and that type of stuff yeah. um, but that I think that was where the main divide in terms of yeah. white population was yeah. and I think the sort of final factor we have to look at when the British inherited this territory is there were 26,000 whites there but there were also around 30,000 uh, black slaves right. who had basically who were there before the whites came yeah. and had been unlucky enough to basically be subjugated subjugated yeah, by, um, yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. this was um, especially true of the Boers in the interior yeah. regions and around 94% of those white farmers were slave owners as well there's an interesting there's an interesting point I just wanted to just wanted to make here that the when you we're talking about an interesting comparison between the Boers as being farmers they're obviously living off their land yeah. whereas uh, the, the divide between the Boers and the mer- mer- merchants is very much like you, although the names are different and the context is different, I am seeing a sort of similarity between a sort of a, a, a you know slightly wealthier, say, merchant class who can afford to be, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot more sort of say close to the central government sort mm-hmm. of administrative um, and and more more sympathetic towards the, the central government as it yeah. were, and and a sort of uh, the, the farmers who are much more like. They don't have a lot, but what they do have is their status as masters of the slaves, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and they're quite um, because of their because their 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 livelihood is dependent on land. They're quite uh, belligerent as well with their neighbours. Yeah, I think uh, masters of slaves yeah. are also masters of their own land. Yeah, their own patch of land. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite very true of this. Yeah. of this kind of this this uh, population. Well. Yeah, but but like I said, they're, they're sort of like with their ne- with the neighbouring um, sort of whether it be provinces or kingdoms, I suppose, 
uh, of of neighbouring African uh, peoples. They're sort of quite like quite aggressive, and they're yes, sort of they are, constantly yeah. pushing to extend mm-hmm. their land towards them. Yes, they are definitely. I think yeah. that the thing that becomes key, especially going later into it, they are they, especially around the border areas where yeah. the Cape Colony ends and yeah. these African kingdoms begin. There is definitely quite a lot of antipathy between the two sides, yeah. and you do see throughout the time period just like these flashpoints occurring where yeah. you know you'll get tit for tat violence coming in this. You know, the Boers looking to extend their land mm. and maintain their mastery of it, whilst yeah. The, yeah. the indigenous population is still trying to hang on to what they've got. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. And I think this. This kind of sets up the picture nicely. You've got a, um, a relatively affluent, urbanised group around the, you know, the around Cape Town in the centre, mm-hmm. on the coast, plus um, a more sort of insular, but also, as you said, very belligerent group yeah. on the interior as well, yeah. which owns a large number of slaves and yeah. has quite a lot of antipathy towards the native community in general, but are also fiercely independent. Yeah, yes, yeah, protect it, their own. What they see as their own. Yeah, it does strike me that they are they are independent. They are independent, um, like almost. Uh, well, first of all, because they sort of want to be, but also because they are not part of the trading and mm-hmm. more economic prosperity that's happening on the border on the on the edge of the colony. Yeah, they are essentially almost isolated from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine. I don't know what. You know, imagine their life is not particularly, not luxurious in any way. No, it's not going to be glamorous. Yeah. I think they. I think, yeah. I think also they have this, as you said, ingrained thing that they are the master. Of yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. the All they, their what I'm saying is, yeah, they don't have much to fall back on other than this status yeah. as being above their, yeah. their, not their, yeah. Yeah, and into this sort of mix comes what is a new kind of overlord, which is <laughs> British, which is the British, which is what become is becoming the fast becoming the British Empire. Well, yeah. Empire, yeah. their new sort of lords and masters, yeah. and so how would, you know, how did this affect? Them? Well, I think this course? is quite entertaining because I've got a book. I got. Uh, I'm going to just um, make this clear to my listeners. I've got a page here called "What Annoyed the Boers," uh, what the British did to piss off the Boers. Basically, I mean the key. I mean, uh, one of them. One of them obviously is uh, being uh, anti-slavery um, because the Boers obviously their livelihood is based on the mastery of these lands, which are control, like which are. Uh, serviced by slave populations, yes, essentially. Uh, so this obviously was quite annoying for them. Obviously. Yeah, I think there were kind of two strands there as well. Yeah. I mean, to begin with, there's also this not just anti-slavery, but also kind of pro a degree of equality as well. So yeah. one of the things the British brought in, was as in they, the, yeah, yeah, one of the things the British brought in there was they they wanted to have um, put forward equal land rights, equal land ownership between uh, blacks and whites, so oh, they would wow. have an equal okay. say on a black person could own land yeah. um, rather than just a white person owning it and then the black person oh see so it wasn't like redistribution farming it land. no it wasn't they would take it off you but they were giving them an equal yeah. say on, yeah. on you know, whether they could own it and also yeah. giving them actually an equality in terms of security so they couldn't just be the victims of random violence yeah. from yeah. from the white population I yeah. think this kind of was the the start the start point yeah. of um this 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 this, this light because yeah. um, well I mean there, there, like, yeah there are lots of, there are a number of other factors on there there are yeah. like for for instance uh, the it's it's difficult to say really because it was like the colony what the colony was doing before this uh, is it, we, we, I haven't got much information on that but basically when the British arrived they were like okay we need a central government so we need to tax these people mm-hmm. which went down like you know this is like <laughs> nothing this is yeah exactly, this is not what they what this is not what they did mm-hmm. in uh, in Cape Colony, um, so that really pissed some people off. Um, then uh, the official imposition of the English language on 
what was essentially a rag bag of French, German, and Dutch speakers, speaking population. Yeah. Can you, I mean, can you imagine anything more I, ridiculous? I think, yeah, and I think the the thing that really rankled with them is that you know Dutch is now being subordinated to English and yeah. things like the the civil service. Yeah. Um, sort of the official sector, and also in in the, in, in the law as well. Yeah. So you, if yeah. you are a, a boar who's being taken to court, then you can't really defend yourself in your own language. Yeah. Because um, it's not being officially recognised as the as the language. Of course. Yeah. 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 So it puts yeah. them immediately at a disadvantage, yeah. and then sort of almost push them into second class. Yeah. Status, status, yeah. Already. Just like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, and then, and then, obviously, in eighteen thirty-four, which is—I mean, we'll, we'll probably go back, but this is you know, the very brink of the the, the, the tr- almost the trigger for the track, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, slavery. just one, one thing before we get yeah. into the trigger, because I think that's yeah. quite a good thing to end. Okay. Because we're coming towards the end of the the causes, long, I think. But I think, course, yeah. uh, I think another we've touched on it before is how sort of avaricious the Boers water were in the in the um, the border regions in terms yeah. of getting yeah. more land. And yeah. Part of this was to do with the fact that they have. Amongst the poor communities, there's quite a high birth rate, so they needed to keep this this expansion going yeah. in many ways to make sure that yeah. there was enough land for everyone to farm and enough yeah. land for everyone to have. And the British, when they arrived, they were less inclined to push the borders in, yeah. in into the interior more yeah. because you know it was it wasn't just in a matter of saying okay, this is our land, they're going to have to send troops to defend, they have to yeah. spend money on actually fighting the wars yeah. to actually get more land. So they were less inclined yeah. to actually help the Boers push the borders further in. And yeah. I think. Um, well, presumably, I mean, I don't want to be you know, a sweeping statement. Perhaps there was a bit of respect for the rights of people outside, you know, owning the land outside of the borders. Um, yeah, the, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, potentially, I mean, there would almost certainly be some kind of, you'd be less inclined if you were an official in Cape Town to start signing orders to go and say, you know, we'll go and take, yeah, if you take this country 100,000 miles away from you rather yeah. than if you were a Boer farmer yeah. and it's a one mile away from you, the border, and you need more land. So yeah. You, you have to graze your, yeah. your flock. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think you know. It's, I think this is really interesting actually because the the Boer society appears to be a pre-industrial society, which is almost you know, I am I am speculating here, mm-hmm. but almost semi-Malthusian, where like say you have to keep expanding, otherwise you will run out of space yeah. for right. your or run out of food basically. And also, if you think about where they are, they're on literally the other side of the world from yeah from places like Europe, and then as yeah. you said before. When you look at the boards, they are in the interior. They're not even like they're on the coast, yeah. next to all these sort of new ideas coming in, new yeah. machinery yeah. and that type of stuff. It's going to take even longer to, to get with to them. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's in many ways not hugely surprising that they are like this because yeah. they are, you know, they're they're almost off on their own kind of thing, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know this, um, the influx in of British speakers, the placing British um, the British language above Dutch, allow you know allowing some measure of equality to the black community yeah. as, as well as the white community and trying to restrain the Boers from attacking the um, border regions yeah. all, all sort of like was bubbling away and then yeah. as you said yeah. abolition happened well in 1834 yeah slavery was completely abolished in every uh, in all the colonies of Britain uh, colonies of the British Empire rather and um, <laughs> this is my this is my favourite fun fact about this oh excellent Compen- listen up listen up yeah, compensation was available yeah. so you had to travel to London to get it yeah it's <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> This is like, you know, I mean, this is an age where you can't even, like, it takes, like, almost, like, a month to get there, yeah. probably. It's a, it's a brilliant way the of... the idea of, that these... It's a brilliant yeah. way of offering the conversation that, you know, yeah. why do you have conversation? If you travel off your farm yeah. into the port, then somehow manage to get onto a ship, yeah. then sail all the way to Britain, yeah. whilst your farm is, you know, potentially not producing exactly, anything whilst yeah. you're gone, to yeah. get a small amount of money. I think I read that it was a lot less than they're actually wanting anyway. Was, yeah. yeah. 
and added to that, I think it the abolition happened around the time that harvest time was was oh, happening. Wow. So the the the, one, the the key time for a farmer yeah. who needs the most manpower is when yeah. is manpower being yeah. wheat, basically. Yeah, yeah. So. But I mean, I mean, there, I mean, there is a there is a point to be made here. I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not saying uh, you know a government imposing its view on a, an independent people in in a way. I mean, what what would the effect be that the the Boers could just pay their workers to actually do the job rather than, you know, forcing them to do it? You know, this is why I was so worried about this topic because although I have a lot to say about it, it's quite controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's all views are welcome yeah. here, yeah. uh, but no, I think you know, yeah, I think we can't underestimate the impact it would have had on yeah, this uh, community because I, you just kind of it is revolutionising, devon- devastating, yeah. yeah. And I mean, although although they you, know, you could still keep your slaves in. As paid labour until age yeah. thirty-eight, that still didn't that still didn't get around the fact that you would have to basically magic up this money to pay them. I, I suppose so. I mean, the, the, which the, is in itself is quite a big ask for a farmer who. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the, I think the two key things are, are these. Like the first one is that their their superior status as the masters is now mm-hmm. gone, and the second one is that these massive, well, theoretically quite large farms that they've been running are now uneconomic. Yeah. Like on their current budgets, mm-hmm. so no, absolutely, I think everything's, yeah. everything's gone wrong. It's almost a perfect storm. Really, yeah. you have this bubbling dislike of British rule going on with their yeah. newfangled ideas and new, yeah. new language, yeah. and then suddenly they've, on top of that, they've basically cut the legs off of your livelihood. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, and so that's where we get to the point in eighteen thirty, in mid eighteen thirties. Yeah, because it's quite. A blur. I think yeah. I don't think there's any specific point at which. Yeah, yeah this, the the, the board is now kind of like there's a big sense that. This isn't working for us anymore, kind yeah. of thing. We can't, we you know, we can't go on basically like this because our way of life is under threat. Yeah. And so there was um, a move amongst some of the, in the board community to actually start exploring where else they could do or what what other avenues they could you know follow. Yeah. And you know this led to what is now become known as the exploratory track. Yeah. Which was a very small scale activity. I think there's only uh, two two white people who yeah. went on it. It was Andrew Smith and William Burke who actually one was English, Andrew Smith was English, and then Boer who is William Burke, and they, they, they basically went into the, what is now northeast South Africa, which mm. is areas around Natal, yeah. and sort of the coastline that way, uh, up to that way, so um, that was the area they explored. They went, they went up there and they came back with these stories that Natal, the, this area, you know, it's largely empty, the terrain is very luscious, it's very good for farming, it's basically perfect. Mm. And so um, from this it kind of spiralled into which was a slightly large trek, which was named, named the Commission Trek, which was uh, 14 wagons, 20, 20 Boer men, one woman, and a group of African... One say, woman. One woman, yeah. That's well, so and, well. and I think it was, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, a group of African servants yeah. um, with them, who then went a bit further. They ended <clears> up in uh, what was then Port Town, now Durban. Right. So they got to the coastline, and again, they, they came back with this idea of, look, we, not only have we got this amazing farmland that's basically empty we've now got somewhere we can use as a port to connect to the outside yeah, world because yeah. it's one of the things they were very well I mean it, key in having yeah. something that they could actually have that connection yeah. they wouldn't have to go back Absolutely. through the Cape, the Cape Colony to get to the outside world yeah um, um, well basically uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with, 18, with the 1830s if you're trying to transport anything it's basically impossible unless you're on water yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially across like um, Apart from wagon terrain, terrain yeah, 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 yeah. they're having but yeah and when they came back, I think what you could, you could probably describe as Trek fever started. And then, you know, <laughs> Trek had, mania. Yeah, Trek mania. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, so the yeah. next you know, five, ten years from 1836, yeah. kind of onwards, yeah. to the, the 1840s, you had you know, different 
um, groups of Boers heading off into the towards Natal, towards the northeast the of the country, uh, northeast of yeah. um, what is now South Africa, into Natal. So, yeah, basically the promised yeah. land to forge this new kind of community and new countries in many ways. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, it's important to say that although around twelve to fourteen thousand Boers went, yeah, um, this is around twenty no twenty twenty percent of the Cape's population in total, ten percent of the okay. white population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big population, big movement, but yeah. it wasn't entirely. You know, not everyone went. Yeah, and they yeah. were. It was. It was, leads, weren't there? it was a sort of minor. I, I think it was like a minority exercise. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is kind of it's interesting in a way because presumably as more people left, there was a lot more land available. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so so the people who stayed behind actually kind of did slightly better when they left. Yeah. You know well, I mean? I think, yeah. Um, so you know, considering it was supposed to be a rural type of society. But anyway, um, yeah, and and the I think the um, the Dutch Reformed Church was. Yeah, they didn't, like, well. no, they didn't like it. They, I think, the general synod of it condemned it outright and said that should, people shouldn't be going yeah. on it. But I think it's quite an interesting one because, although obviously their faith was very important to mm. this community, and they were very uh, religious, I think there was quite a distrust of of the Dutch Reformed Church. I imagine bit, probably because compromised I think, by the Cape Cod. Exactly, I think yeah. they were kind of seen as being more towards the Cape yeah. Dutch side side of things rather than on the Boer side. Yeah. So you no, know, yeah. it's quite a big thing actually. Also, to think that they are almost turning their back on their Church as well, and the you know, Dutch Reformed Church is a big thing yeah. throughout the Dutch community. Yeah, yeah. But they actually, I think they, they took, they did take um, clergymen, but I think they're from different denominations. Which yeah, I mean, too, um, on on the bigger tracks with yeah. them, but they weren't from the Dutch Reformed Church. Yeah. Some up and coming denominations yeah. that were still looking for exactly. The whereas the whereas I think the Dutch Reformed Church said it would lead to godliness and the decline of civilization. Yeah, yeah the Great Trek. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and then of course we have the Cape Dutch who were. Um, uh, they were more urbanised. They weren't necessarily anti-British because yeah. they were probably doing relatively well out of it. Yeah. They were in the areas well, plus, I mean, I imagine as well they probably didn't really affect them that. I mean, no, well, exactly. I mean yeah. that's they quite a sweeping this... statement. Yeah. Maybe the dock, maybe the docks. Perhaps there were slaves in the docks. I'm not sure, but but again, I think you're right that they didn't have this. They didn't have the same outlook in life. Reliance, yeah, yeah. reliance yeah. on this labour and you know this this image of themselves as being yeah. master of their own land. Yeah, and as independent as possible. Yeah. And do you have anything about what the British thought of this? Moving uh, people from their lands. Well, I think, I think they were like, uh, well, we're not going to stop you, mm. which, which is quite, you know, this is quite, un, uh, this is quite interesting at this point because I think the uh, uh, Britain was, it was a law in Britain that you were not allowed to leave, you weren't allowed to emigrate from Ireland until uh, I think, I'm not exactly sure what the date is, so it's quite interesting they were allowing them to do this. Yeah, I mean, oh, what would they do to stop them? I suppose, but um, uh, but they, but they didn't, obviously they were like worried about it. Like, yeah, this is probably going to cause some trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the, I think that was the overriding thing I found yeah. was that all the officials were like, we're not going to spend lots and lots of money and man manpower keeping these people in the country when yeah. they clearly don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There yeah. was there was quite a bit a few qualms about what they're actually going to do to the interior when yeah. they get there. Yeah, it's like who they're going to run up against. Yeah, I think. it's almost like they've been they've been sort of asking for this quite a long time. Yeah, considering they've been like such quite aggressive towards their neighbours. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, and then yeah. basically letting them loose. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. What, what's yeah. going to happen? Like, well, they're on their own, let them go, and yeah. uh, they're nothing to do with us. <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, so now we've got to the situation where we're getting streams of people leaving the Cape Colony. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to say that it wasn't just one massive trek that yeah. happened. Although it's called the Great Trek, it was various individual parties that were leaving, some hundred strong, some a few had a few thousand sometimes. Yeah different parties joined together and split apart because of, again, because of this sort of fiercely independent nature that a lot of yeah, them had. Yeah, yeah. You know, they would, it didn't lend itself well to one person being in charge. I yeah. think. So you would get this thing where some convoys would join together and then split apart and they'd go their separate ways again. Yeah. But it was very much kind of an ad hoc 
thing in many ways that you yeah. have groups of tens, twenties going off, groups of hundreds going off, and then maybe a few thousand going off as well. And then they, they found their own ways across into Natal and into different areas. And but then obviously, although the ex, the exploratory trek and the commission trek had come back with these stories of vast tracts of open land that no one owned, it was clear that you know someone actually did own those lands. Yes, someone did yeah. live in those lands, and then they did run up against the indigenous populations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I don't really. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's quite. I think there are two interesting sort of case studies, if you will, yeah. on this. Um, one's the Endebelli people, and the Endebelli are they're kind of a not a sub branch of the Zulu because the Zulu obviously yeah. well known. If you've yeah, seen yeah, Dom yeah. Zulu or you know, heard about the Zulu, Zulu War, we'll come yeah. to them a bit later. But Endebelli, they were related and they spoke a branch of the same language as Ngoni, um, and they yeah. their chief Mizilakazi. He had fought for the Zulus at some point, uh, some, for some points with his people, yeah. but then there was a jealousy with the Zulus, and they turned against him basically and forced him out yeah. uh, with his people, and they were basically almost in the basically firing line of many some of the of the boar yeah, trek, boar yeah. trekkers who are coming across in the period we're talking about in the in sort of 1830 mid-1830 1836 onwards really they had the end of in what is now free state which is northeast central south africa and they basically ran into um a boar patrol um, and immediately there was kind of confrontation between the two groups obviously the boars are coming through with a lot a huge a number yeah. of cattle and sheep and Jimmy really wagons. quite vulnerable as well yeah, I think so yeah and so then they yeah. yeah and I think uh, and they were attacked at one point at a certain point at the end they did attack them um, it, it escalated um, to the battle of what's called the battle of Vegkop mm. which is um, where around 5,000 the belly attacked uh, a small boar group of around 35 but mm. the boar boars um had actually what they did where they they, they lagered their wagons, which yeah. is where they basically literally circled the wagons and yeah. made basically a movable fortress for themselves. Yeah. So yeah. they had guns and they managed to fight the Endebelli off. Yeah. So even though there was there were vast number, they fought them off. The um, Endebelli took five, around fifty thousand of their sheep and five thousand of cattle, uh, and this yeah. kind of almost was like a red rag to the to a bull. Yeah. Um, because yeah. this is the livelihood of the boars they yeah, take. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. then the boars kind of launched what were literally commando raids against the. Yeah, uh, we get the word commando from the boards because oh, like, really? they, their group yeah. of their, like, like the hit and run lightning tactics, which was yeah. they had horses, they had guns, yeah. they, they yeah. really had neither. So then basically sort of harassed them around the around the area for the following year, yeah. burned 20 or so settlements, re- recovered Jeez. some of their cattle to yeah. the point where um, the Enderbelly basically just gave up and migrated north, right, further yeah. north to get away from it. So they yeah. settled in what is now modern day Zimbabwe and they were the sort of ethnic groups within Zimbabwe still as well yeah. the Endebelli people so yeah. this is one of the things we see from the Great Trek is the Boers displacing other populations yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a very clear one they you know, basically was two civilizations meeting yeah, yeah. and the superior tactics and firepower of the Boers yeah. telling in many ways well I suppose the technology as well I mean yeah, you, you know, there is a certain there is a you know, I mean uh, uh, there is a sort of slight balance there isn't there they're completely balanced yeah. I mean they, they, have, they have said they have horses and they have guns they, yeah. could, they could mount yeah. these lightning raids and always like come out of nowhere to attack yeah. settlements and yeah. You know, yeah. keep people sort of wrong footed constantly so yeah. I mean that is one sort of um, result of, yeah. of it and the other one is what happened when they ran up against the Zulus yeah. and Zulu is obviously they're probably you know, they're, they're the preeminent power in yeah. um, southern Africa at this time. Well, they're sort of like an empire, aren't they? They're yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are an empire. They, you know, Shaka, who was the the king who made them great. Yeah. In ways, he would. He was. He was. You know, he was uncompromising in terms of. Yeah. Basically, just destroying other other groups and yeah. subsuming them under the Zulu rule. Yeah. And then. Nice guy. Yeah, basically, and by the time we're looking at now, again, it's it's mid mid eighteen thirties. Yeah. His brother has taken charge because Shaka's been 
assassinated because he's yeah. become so mentally unbalanced, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> right. I think it's the death of his mother. Um, he basically started implementing all these rules. Like, that was a fun fact. Um, yeah, yeah it was, it was, he literally, I think he seemed to lose it after his mother died. Yeah. I think it was his mother. And so, like, there was all these edicts coming down, like, children had to be killed so they wouldn't know the the, the, the grief of losing a mother or something like that. And right. you know, people who became pregnant in the year that the mother died were killed, and it was just horrific. And yeah. so I think people, including his brothers, had him assassinated, basically. Yeah. So the Zulu king at this time is a guy called Dingani, who right. he kind of relies on, you know, because he's picking up the pieces in many ways, he's now relying on basically being a strong man. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. into this comes the, the Boers. Yeah. Um, they, just, just as like sort of... Uh, De- like sort of desperate sort of brigade of yeah sort of rag-tag. yeah ra- like ragtag Dutch people yeah exactly like, like just yeah furious yeah they, <laughs> they, like the Zulu I think they had more of an idea of how to deal with them a bit because right, they, yeah. they they had had an ex- like exposure to whites before yeah. they knew the Sharper had known them and yeah. had dealt with them before yeah and so Dingai did um, to begin with sign a treaty with them giving them land yeah um, but then he he took the delegation that came to him. And said, we're going to have basically invite them to a big party, uh, big celebration. Yeah. This went on for a couple of days, yeah. and then at the, the climax of it, um, he stood up and shouted out in, in, in was basically translated, "Catch the wizards or seize the wizards," which was the board. Yeah. They grabbed the boards, they dragged them onto a nearby hill, yeah. and beat, beat them to death, yeah. basically. And then they, after they killed this delegation, they went and launched an attack on the rest of the party, which was around five hundred strong, mm-hmm. overwhelmed them and massacred them mm-hmm. uh, near a town of the Venen, which. Tried, translates as weeping basically yeah. in oh, wow. memory of the massacre yeah. and then again as we've seen with the end of Belly this um, sort of initial conflict escalated into you know, more and more violence and greater and greater um, forces on either side being used until we get to a point um, which is called the Battle of Blood River which is um, in this takes place in December 1838 yeah. and in, in terms of the Boer sort of mind and also latest African minds it really is almost like the foundation the, the yeah. moment kind That's of thing moment, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and it, which where around 10 to 15,000 Zulu attacked um, a Boer Lago and they fought the Boers fought them off yeah. and then there's about 300 of them they, they fit over 3,000 casualties on the Zulu and yeah. yeah. um, essentially for only three wounded in return uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, not, not sure exactly how much you can read into that but yeah, yeah. But, still, but this yeah. battle was basically like the, the end of the of things it weakened yeah. Dingani's rule and he was eventually um, kicked out and killed yeah. and basically because it shattered yeah. his authority yeah, yeah, yeah. so again we've seen that you know initially although the, the, the Zulu didn't might migrate away they lost their land yeah. they lost their land yeah. to the border well, well, yeah they were defeated I guess they were defeated and yeah um, although they were yeah. still a power yeah. they, they were shown to be weaker than Weaker, they yeah. were and although they weren't completely pushed off the land like the end of belly they still lost land to the Boer yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean it's, it's yeah it's easy to see why uh there is a sort of, you know, even now, you know, even now, present day, sort of distrust, I suppose, well, distrust, more, more extreme than distrust, feelings towards this event in history, I suppose. Yeah, I think because, and if you look at, we look into like the 20th century in apartheid South Africa, they, yeah, you know, yeah. it was called the Day of the Vow because they vowed to, they vowed to God they'd go out in victory, they'd lead holy lives and that oh, sort of well, thing on the, yeah. on the eve of the battle, it's called yeah. the Day of the Vow, and it's a national holiday during apartheid South Africa. And, right. Um, yeah. And it, it's is very. It still, is it still a national holiday? I don't know. I think. It, I think it is the national holiday, right. but I think it's but it's not, but it's not so much linked back to the yeah. battle. Anymore, yeah. I think, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it casts a very long shadow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then so, so you've had this. You know, the Boers have moved out of the Cape Colony. They've come into contact with these um, indigenous communities yeah. generally because of their 
superior tactics, weapons, and technology. Yeah, they have yeah, managed yeah. to try and both of them and carve out these these. They eventually carve out these pieces of land. And so, yeah. what's kind of the result of this? I was going to say, well, founding several free, several independent states, I yeah. suppose, but um, uh, presumably that all came to an end in about the eighteen fifties, I think. Yes, I think. Um, no, no, not the eighteen fifties. Sorry, uh, no, they were recognised in the eighteen fifties. Yeah, well, the British didn't recognise them for ages. Yeah, I think as states, which yeah, I suppose. Uh, thinking about it, fair enough. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they did. They did. Um, they founded quite a few different ones. Yeah, um, and then like the Natalia Republic. Yeah, um, was founded in what is now Natal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In eighteen thirty nine. Well, presumably, these are all still regions of South Africa. Yeah, they are. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but um, they um. But a lot of the smaller ones were either subsumed yeah. into the two large ones, which are the Orange Free State and yeah. the South African Republic, yeah. which, as you said, were recognised and being almost like official yeah. countries and states in yeah. the 1850s. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. the, the end point, the natural end point of, of the trek is, yeah, is when, you know, on the one hand, you, you've got Britain creeping up behind them, yeah. subsuming some Boer states back yeah. into the into the British South colony. Yeah, the Cape Colony. Yeah. Um, and then, on the other hand, you've got these two Boer states, yeah. uh, the Orange Free State and the South African Republic. Yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting that they're called the Orange Free State. I mean, it's because they're Dutch, presumably. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Like the, William of Orange. And all, well, the yeah. Orange... Um, yeah, William of Orange. Yeah, William yeah, of Orange. The, or National but but, then, but Orange. then that was like 1690-something. Mm. I, think, I think, yeah, but I think... We but then Orange is not just William of Orange. It's, no, it's, it's, it's representative the, of the Protestant religion, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think, you know, yeah. as you said, yeah. this is a, a community that takes their faith incredibly yeah. seriously. Yeah. And, and equally, as you said, you know, they're very independent, so I think in many ways... To when the British came in, it was almost like another sort of badge to wear, kind yeah, of thing, that they're yeah. so fiercely independent, they're going to put out their front and centre kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, we've got, as well as as these foundations of these states, we've also got, on a more sort of level that's still with us today, we've got place names as yeah. well, named only in Pretoria, Capital, yes, of course, places yeah. like uh, Peter Marisburg, um, um, also named after the, yeah. uh, these the leaders among the Trek, the Trek and yeah. the Boer Trekkers. Yeah. Um, so when, um, when were these... Uh, when did these states disappear? When when, did, uh, when when was South Africa? Well, even though they escaped the British, they didn't escape yeah. them entirely. Not so for, kind not of like long, kind of like after the Boers went north east, the British sort of slowly but surely incrementally yeah. came after them yeah, in terms yeah. of the, the country expanded. Yeah. What became South Africa expanding, and then we had things like in the eighteen seventies the Zulu War where they where they took you know, they secured hold over Natal and uh, mm. the British, and then they kept going more and more north, and then as it came closer to the, the two Boer states, the sort of antipathy between them kind of escalated into in the 1880s, you know, yeah. the First Boer War, first Boer um, and then, then yeah. you know, British lost that one. Um, so they, the, Boer, yeah. the Boer states remained, but then the British came back and they, <laughs> they, they were back. Uh, yeah. the, at the end of the 19th century, so like the very closing stages of it, in 1899, I think it started, and yeah. like, then went through to 1902, yeah. which is when I think, I think basically British numbers eventually told on the Boers, even though they, had, yeah. they could use these hit-and-run tactics and these, you know, Scottish tactics to great effect. The British were, I think, just too much for them in terms of yeah. numbers in the end. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's where the two republics kind of disappeared yeah, um, yeah. and became subsumed into the into South Africa. Yeah, South Africa. And yeah, and I think yes, I mean that's that's how where they ended. But I think their kind of the image of the trek was already alluded to to lived on in Africa in what yeah. became Afrikaner nationalism. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so the yeah. the idea of the trek in Africa in apartheid times. And before then, kind of grew into almost like semi-biblical yeah. proportions. Yeah, yeah proportions imagine, exactly. And yeah, it yeah. came you know, the Exodus of the chosen people. Kind of yeah, it was equated yeah. to Moses leading the Jews. Yeah, um, out of Israel. Yeah, kind of thing. And you know, the centenary of the Battle of the Blood River in 1938 hmm. um, was a big thing. It was very highly celebrated. And it was yeah. a big sort of boon to 
um, the National Party who were the sort of party of who like led into apartheid. Apartheid, yeah. basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is it during a further reading? Yeah, so I have a couple of things. Um, one is called the, the Afrikaners: A Biography of People um, by Herman Gillemot. Gillemot. Yeah. Um, and that's you know it gives a good overview to who the Afrikaners are, where they came from, which is obviously a great trek. Yeah. And everything. And another thing is um, it's actually an audio series um, <laughs> called <laughs> The Day of the Dead Moon by yeah. a historian called David Rattray, who is he's a. It's more focused on the Anglo-Zulu War, but the first the first part of it is all about sort of the history before that so the great trek yeah and where and then when the board's coming into contact with the zoos it's very interesting yeah um, really a very good one so if you can get after that I yeah. recommend it just thinking about the exertions of the great trek indeed yeah it's just exhausting me listening yeah. to it um, I think we should probably should we end the episode I don't know yeah. how we easily end it oh we'll just end it with yeah. the double play music yeah okay. thanks for listening to Footnotes of History for more episodes visit footnotesofhistory.com and subscribe or if you want to suggest an episode to us email us on episodes at footnoteofhistory.com You can also follow us on social media at FOH Podcast Twitter and we're also on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks for listening.